Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. And also as we say in my Byzantine Catholic Church of the Ruthenian jurisdiction, Christos Voskres, Voistino Voskres. After having gone through this incredible springtime of repentance, of Lent, having immersed ourselves in Christ step by step, suffering, passion, and then going to the cross and making his cross our cross, now we make his resurrection our resurrection. You see, that's very much a part of the joy at this time of year, on this day of Pascha, sometimes called Easter, but more properly Pascha, the Paschal season, because it comes from the word Passover. It is our Passover. The Lord's Passover becomes our Passover. Everything about the Lord becomes ours. Everything was ours that happened and was about the Lord, from his birth to his teachings, to his suffering, to every experience, it is ours. And that's what makes the resurrection so triumphant, that it was precisely because Christ resurrected that we can resurrect. Just as we say in the liturgy, Christ's baptism is our baptism, so too is his suffering, death, and now his resurrection, our resurrection. And if that's true, then we have to live as though we are sharing in Christ's resurrection. That's the whole point. That was the whole point of the rigors of the Lenten season. Hopefully you embraced faithfully, and hopefully it changed you. The point of the Lenten season of this past week of Passion Week was to be transformed and become a person of the resurrection, newly transformed, a new person, newness of life, It even occurs during the springtime. That's why all the Easter bunny and the eggs and all that kind of thing and the flowers are a part of the secular expression of Easter. Nonetheless, they come from really the source, which is life, life and light, which is always what Christ is about, certainly in his resurrection. In the Byzantine Catholic Church and many other Eastern churches, we have the movement of Christ's descent into hell that precedes his resurrection. That happens on Holy Saturday. Now, in the Latin rite, Holy Saturday, the Holy Saturday Vigil, it's, it's the Paschal Vigil. It's a very, very big evening. It's the baptismal liturgy. 
And actually, so it is too in the Eastern churches. In, in the church East and West, the vigil of Pascha was the baptismal liturgy, the time of baptism, and it would go all through the night. And that's why in our church, in the Byzantine church, on Holy and Great Saturday, we have the Vespers with the Liturgy of St. Basil with many, many readings having to do from the Old Testament and the New, largely the Old Testament, that have anything to do with an immersion, with redemption, with Passover, with salvation, water, all these images, because they are all prefigurements of Christ's resurrection. And so while people are being baptized, these readings are being read. There's many of them because essentially you're reading these passages from the scripture over top of the ceremony of baptism. Baptism took place in a separate baptistry. And during that time in the church, the people would read and or listen to the readings from the Bible, especially the Old Testament. And then earlier that day, earlier on Saturday, a holy and great Saturday in the Byzantine liturgical tradition, we have one of the most magnificent services of our entire repertoire of liturgical services, and that is the Jerusalem Matins. Jerusalem Matins. That's the service in which we actually move liturgically with Christ, which is what we always do in liturgy. We're always moving with Christ. We're always immersing ourselves in that reality of Christ, of the heavenly reality, the angels, the saints, Christ. That's what liturgy does. That's the genius of liturgy. It unites us with a timelessness, past, present, future, all become one. So in the Jerusalem Matins, which is prayed in the morning. It's a very, very rich service, which speaks of the descent of Christ into hell. You see, that sometimes is underplayed in the church and also and just in the whole, even the secular idea of Easter. The Paschal season hinges upon the fact that Christ goes from the cross into the tomb. His body rests in the tomb while his spirit, his soul, actually goes into hell. That's the ultimate thing. That, that's it, because he does the ultimate battle. In fact, the resurrection icon in the Eastern churches really is not a resurrection icon, and it is and it isn't. It's actually called the harrowing of hell, a dramatic, dramatic figure of Christ descending into hell, his garments flurring in the breeze, uh, denoting action. He's descending, and he's standing upon what looks to be a cross trampled down, but it's actually the gates of hell being trampled down, and they fall providentially in the form of a cross. And around those gates are locks and hinges and chains and things that are broken. Christ bursts into hell. He breaks through the bonds of hell. The icon shows Christ with each hand grabbing Adam and Eve out of what are tombs or sarcophagi. And he's raising them up to take them out of Hades. And along with them, they are surrounded by many of the figures, representative figures of the Old Testament because no one could actually enter heaven in its fullness until Christ came and paid the ransom. So there's actually depictions of righteous and holy people in this icon from the Old Testament, the prophets and so on. And even St. John the Baptist, King David, are depicted as essentially being in Hades, not hell in terms of suffering and damnation, but a place where almost like a holding pattern. They could not go to heaven yet. No one could. 
And that's the great miracle of this resurrection. It breaks the bonds of hell and releases the captives and allows them to be taken to heaven now. And along with Adam and Eve, not only are they literally Adam and Eve and the icon, but they also representative of the whole human race. The first man, the first Eve, representing all humanity that could not go to heaven until Christ descended, did the great battle with the devil, broke his power, and released the captives. Then, on the Paschal morning, or Easter morning, comes the matin service. So, what's happened is Christ dies on the cross on Friday, he's put in the tomb, and then on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, we say it's a Sabbath's rest, a Sabbath's rest, as though he was resting, but not really. His body was, quote-unquote, resting, so to speak, in the tomb, Everybody thought he was dead and there forever, but his spirit goes to Hades and does battle there, and then no one knows about it except those in Hades. No one on earth knows about it. In fact, no one really knows about his resurrection. The soldiers witness it afterwards. The tomb is open. They don't understand how it happened. The women come to the tomb. They don't understand how the tomb has been opened and Christ is not there. The apostles come into the tomb because the women told them that the body was not there. They didn't believe it, so they had to see for themselves, especially it was Peter and John who ran to the tomb. They peered in. They did not see the body. No one saw the resurrection. I don't know that anyone could have lived and seeing the resurrection. Imagine the light, the brilliance, the power of that. And so on Pascha, the Paschal morning, the matin service is all about the announcement of what happened. So there was the great battle, then the resurrection, and then the announcement to the world. And that's really what happens. During the matin service, which is very, very triumphant, very spirited, it is just wild. It is just as triumphant as it can possibly be. It's even sung and chanted at a very fast pace. It's the pace and rhythm, actually, of running feet. Yes, as though someone were running. And whose feet are they? They're the feet of the myrrh-bearing women who came to the tomb thinking they would anoint the body of Christ, and there he is gone. He appears to them and tells them that it's him. It's really him. He is resurrected. And they go running breathlessly to the apostles to tell them about the resurrection. And that's what we do. In fact, during our matin service, at the end of it, we're actually almost a bit breathless. The matins includes a procession outside the church, weather permitting, that comes to the front doors of the church where the priest begins to chant some prayers, and then he takes his cross in his hand, and he strikes the doors of the church in the form of a cross, and the doors magically open from the inside, and we enter into the church, which now becomes the open tomb, and the shroud of the fallen Christ, the shroud of the body of Christ, you know, like the shroud of Turin, which was placed on Great and Holy Friday evening after the Vespers, placed in the tomb in the middle of the church, that shroud is gone. And in its place in the tomb is a magnificent icon of the resurrection. And there's flowers in the church and the lights are lit as high as they can go and the candles are lit and the choir and the cantors are singing resoundingly, Christ is risen from the dead, by death he trampled death. And to those in the tombs he granted life. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East, Christ is risen. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. 
and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hi, I'm Bishop Earl Boyer for WJKNAM and W227BYFM, Good Shepherd Catholic Radio in Jackson, Michigan, and you're listening to Light of the East. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. You can see that I've changed my greeting to you. Instead of glory to Jesus Christ, it is now Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. And that is the truth. And I say is, I mean is, present tense. We celebrate and proclaim this as though it were happening right now. Because there is no time, not any chronological time as we know it on earth, once we enter into the great mysteries of Jesus Christ, especially his death and resurrection, which we enter into each time we celebrate the liturgy, the Eucharistic liturgy, or as they say in the the Western lung of the church, the Mass. It takes us into a complete timelessness. And so that's why we speak in the present tense. Christ is risen. We don't say Christ did rise or he was risen, you know, something he did, and we just sort of commemorate that, like our civil holidays, 4th of July, Memorial Day. Those are remembrances. I mean, they're, they're wonderful. They're great. This is not any kind of criticism of them. They are what they are. They are remembrances, which we do even then, in a sense, enter into those moments, but not in the same way as in the liturgy of the church. In the liturgy of the church, especially with the great feast days like today, we enter into that in a timelessness. It's happening now. The women come to the tomb, and when they see it empty, they go back to the apostles. And it's interesting if we can look at the various roles of the two genders involved here, the men and the women. The women were the first to hear of the resurrection. And much of our theology in the church will say that 
although there's nothing in the scripture that says so, but we, we do deduce this, that his mother was the first to hear of the resurrection. But the ones we know about that are in scripture are the myrrh-bearing women. In fact, they have their own feast day after Easter, after Pascha in the Byzantine church. So the women hear it first, and then they are told by Jesus, the resurrected Christ, to take the message not to the world, not yet, but in a proximate place, to the community, to the family. Start there. So much the case with the genius, the gifts of womanhood, as St. John Paul II points out in so much of his writings and in the theology of the body. Womanhood, the gift and the genius to receive. They were the first to receive the message. So in this way, Christ undoes the fall of the first woman, Eve, who receives the bad message from the serpent, from the devil, and therefore begins the fall of humanity. Adam, of course, shares in that with her, but it begins with her being open to the serpent, being open to his foul lie. Now, Christ allows womanhood to redeem itself and therefore the world by being the first to receive the message from Christ. Both instances occur, if you notice, in a garden. You see what Christ does? It's ingenious. It's even beyond genius. It's divine. The divine wisdom of God where he takes events and redoes them in the same places, in the same kind of circumstances, but yet different. The fall occurs in the garden. The restoration occurs in the garden. The fall comes through a woman and then a man. And so it is restored first to a woman and then to the men. The women take the message to the apostles who act just like men normally do, suspicious and cautious, thinking the women, as the gospel itself even says, they thought it was like nonsense. The women were just, just chattering and prattling on in a senseless way. The men had to go see for themselves. See, this is what the serpent knew in the Garden of Eden. The serpent knew that Adam would respond probably the same way to the serpent. So he went to the woman who would receive the message. Same thing here. The men did not receive the message immediately. It was given to the women who take it to the family. The first place it must germinate. The truth of the resurrection must germinate in our homes, our families, our marriages first so that it can then be taken to the world. That's why we say in the church that civilization goes by way of the family and family goes by way of marriage. We start in the most proximate venue, marriage and family, the place of the heart, the place of life and love. And we emanate outward from there with the message, the example, the life of the resurrection. That's how you transform the world. You don't transform the world by the external forum. It has its place, but our tendency is to start there, to put all of our Easter eggs, so to speak, into one basket, the right president, the right political party, the right kind of education, the right kind of economy. We put so much stock in that, so much investment of our happiness in those external things. They have their place, but they are animated by the resurrection. They're animated by our being people of the resurrection who then embrace, interface, live out the external forum. But without the internal forum, without the message of the resurrection being lived at home in our hearts, what are we bringing to the external forum? Nothing. And it's pretty obvious today, isn't it? It's so empty, so vacuous, so wrong. Because those, in so many ways, 
who are occupying, who are in leadership or power, the external forums in our world are people who do not live or understand or know the resurrection. And if they say they do, they really don't because things would be different. So Christ first says, take it to the family, take it internally. And then he commissions later on, he commissions the apostles to go forth and teach all nations, take it to the external forum. St. Paul in the Acts of the Apostles, in fact, which we read after Pascha, during the Paschal season, we read the Acts of the Apostles. St. Paul actually goes to the Areopagus. That was, in a sense, like the, like the Senate. It was one of the civil, premier, prestigious civil spheres of the Greek culture. The wise men, the leaders, discussing business. And he goes there on the Areopagus. That's a big hill there in Athens. And he talks to them about the real God. So Paul even engages on the external sphere. He did in the internal sphere too, but he goes forth as an evangelist into the external sphere to take the message of the resurrection. But it must begin in our hearts, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships at home. To be people of the resurrection is something that is so much needed today, maybe more than ever. It could very well be that we are in unprecedented times with some of the darkness, some of the challenges that we have in our day and age. There are many parallels, many similarities. There is Solomon Gomorrah. There was a fall of the Roman Empire. There was the dark days of the plagues during the medieval times. Many, many dark times. There were the world wars, depression, economic depressions around the world. There's many dark times in the history of humanity, dark times even when Christ was betrayed when the apostles left him at his most important hour, the darkness of Judas betraying Christ. Many, many dark times, but perhaps we are in times that might be unprecedented in their darkness, in the ways that they are dark. And so what is needed is the resurrection, to be people of the resurrection. We can't change the world directly through the external forums that I mentioned We're seeing that failing all the time. I mean, we have to work in those forms and do what we can, but they're failing all the time. They don't seem to do the job. Darkness still seems to be so prevalent, and there seems to be no end to it. What we can do, though, is change the internal forum. No one can take away from us, from our souls, our heart, our mind, our will, the reality of the resurrection. No one can take away from us our ability to live that with each other and our families, our marriages, our homes, our churches. No one can take that away from us. And we can live that. And when others see that, they too are encouraged. They too are transformed. They too get to see the truth incarnated in us, that Christ is the ultimate last word on everything. And that's what we see in the triumph of the cross and the resurrection. That would seem to be the worst thing. And remember, the apostles, they saw Christ in what they thought were his best moments. And there, there he was now on the cross, weak and seemingly defeated, all was lost. And literally darkness came all over the earth. And where were those apostles? Where were those apostles? They were hiding. They were gone. They had lost faith. They didn't know what to think. One of them even betrayed him. Peter did, in fact, as well, three times. And he made up for it afterwards. But two out of the 12 apostles directly denied or betrayed Christ. Two out of 12. And the other ones, well, they betrayed him in a sense of 
fleeing, of not being around, hiding, looking out for their own skin, because they knew if they were associated with him, they'd be captured too and crucified with him. So this was a dark and frightening moment. And yet Christ took that moment as the apostles looked upon Christ on the cross and looked at him as defeated. Here it was, his greatest pulpit, his greatest sermon, his greatest moment, which would come to its fullness in his resurrection, and then his ascension, and then he would finally send the Holy Spirit so that we could live the resurrection, his resurrection, and it would be our resurrection to be lived in our homes, our marriages, in our own hearts, and in that way, taken to the world. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.